the bar opened the shop one day, and and uh, the the baker in the town, the guy that had the bakery come walking in, wanted to need a haircut. The the baker walks in the bar. The barber was feeling particularly generous that day, so so he said, "You know what? I'm gonna. I, I really appreciate what you do in the community, and you bake cakes for people, and and just take care. Of, I really appreciate. It. I'm gonna give you a free haircut." So he cut his hair for free that day. Next morning, he walks in his shop, and there's a dozen a dozen cupcakes in his shop. Um, and a little bit later, a guy walks in who owned the florist shop in town. And, and the barber's feeling particular, uh, particularly uh, generous that day. And he said, you know what, I appreciate, I appreciate how you take care of families. Uh, you, you're there during weddings and funerals, and you just do such a, a good ministry to our community. I'm going to give you a free haircut today. So he cut his hair for free. Next morning, he walked in. There was a dozen roses uh, in a vase for his wife there in the barber shop. A little bit later that day, the preacher in the community walked in and Barbara was feeling particularly generous. He said, you know what, I just appreciate all that you do for our community and your, your service to the people, so I'm going to cut your hair for free today. So he cut his hair for free. The next morning he walked in and there were 12 preachers sitting in his, in his uh, barber shop. <laughs> Last week we talked about, we, we talked how we would do things differently if someone was standing there or standing behind us. Uh, particularly if there was someone that we were talking about or, or, or maybe we're doing something and we wouldn't want them to know. If we knew they were there, we would respond differently. We wouldn't do things the, the same. So we talked about the idea of the not so undercover boss that, that God is, is obviously our boss, but he's not really undercover. Uh, we oftentimes live as if God can't see us, that we can somehow, uh, somehow hide our thoughts and our actions and our words and, and, uh, and God doesn't know about it. But the truth is, and he had told the church at Ephesus this early in the chapter, in chapter 1, he had told them that they were sealed with the, the Holy Spirit. So in other, words, in other words, they had God's Holy Spirit in them, which we do as well if you're a believer. So, so the truth is, we're, we're never uh, without God in our life. The, the boss, our boss, God is always there. Um, and, and because of that, he Paul points out and challenges four uh, here in Ephesians, the first part of chapter 6, 1 to 9, Paul challenges four distinct groups. Last week we talked about the first two. He talks to children. He said, Children's, children, obey your parents for it's right in the Lord. Uh, and not just to obey, but he took it a step further and he said also to honor your parents. The idea of honor, uh, honor and respect had the idea of, of realizing who they were and, uh, realizing that they had a right to ask things of you. So, so, so Paul said, children, obey and honor. The second thing or second group that he challenged was fathers or parents. He said, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up. Uh, bring them up in, in the teaching and instruction of the Lord. So, so in other words, surround them with teaching. Don't exasperate them. Give them, pour into their lives what, what they would expect from you. Love, encouragement, uh, joy. Uh, do that, but also bring them up to teach them in the Lord. So today we're going to look at the uh, the next two groups that he talks to. We're actually going to spend most of the time on the first one uh, because I really there's probably more application for us on that one. So we're going to look at the first one. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter six. We're going to start in verse five. So we're just going to read verses five to nine uh, and look at the last two that he talks to. Verse five: Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey christ obey them not only to win their favor when favor when their eye is on you but like slaves of christ doing the will of god from your heart 
serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is a slave or free. And then verse 9, and masters, uh, and this is the second group, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. The first thing we see there is the boss sees if you're sincere. That's what he says. We are to serve, slaves are to serve with sincerity. Now, let's start off by talking about what Paul doesn't talk about here. I think we need to kind of understand this, because the reality is we might, uh, we might look here and some of you might question this. What does Paul not say in the passage? Wouldn't you think that Paul would say to the church at Ephesus, slavery is wrong. Get rid of slavery. Don't you, you would think maybe he would address that. In fact, we really don't want to see it addressed in, uh, in, in the New Testament at all. And there's a reason for that. The reality is it was different then. Slavery had nothing to do with race. You, you could, in fact, end up a slave a, a number of different ways. You could end up a slave if during battle you were captured and then you were put into to being a slave. A, a lot of slaves were there because they owed debt. Instead of, uh, in, instead of uh, uh, going to the bankruptcy courts, if you owed someone money and you couldn't pay it back, you worked for them until you got it paid back. You became their slave. Uh, a lot of the slaves were there because of that. Some were slaves, we pointed this out last week, some were slaves because their parents uh, sold them into slavery. Remember point that out? That, that's why when Paul said, don't exasperate your children, uh, that's why that was such a powerful thing because, because it was flipping the whole idea of parenthood around. Uh, because if a, if, a, if a dad didn't like what his kid did, he could sell him into slavery. No one would think twice. So some of the slaves were there because they'd been sold by their parents and or uh, had simply been abandoned by their parents. Uh, and believe it or not, some were slaves. I know some of you are thinking, hmm, wonder what I could get from them. Uh, some of them were in slavery because they chose to be slaves. Their, their lot in life would be better if they indentured themselves to someone. They, they actually could improve their lot, improve their circumstance if they said, hey, I will be your slave. So, so when Paul addresses slaves here, he doesn't address the, the concept or the idea of slavery because it really wasn't an issue in the day. What the issue was was speaking to the hearts of the, the slave. In fact, one third, uh, they say one third to sometimes one half of the people in a lot of the Roman cities, one third to one half of the people were slaves. We're not talking a small number. One third to one half of the people were in some way a slave. And the reality is they could come out of slavery in a number of different ways. Paid their debt, work it off, then they were, were freed. Some were slaves for a certain period of time. Once that time was over, then they were freed. So they actually had that opportunity. So, so it's completely different than, than what was the, the black eye in the history of our nation uh, during the period of slavery. So Paul talks, first of all, to, to this group in the church. So it's a, a third of the group, maybe even upward to a half of the group. He talks to those as slaves, and he points out three thoughts. And here's the first one. He talks about motivation slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey christ now now as this letter was being read at the church at ephesus they they probably gathered and it could have been a large group where 
a number of house churches had come together kind of like this, and, and there might have been hundreds of people there, or, or, or the letter might have been read in a, in a smaller situation where just a house church. But, but as the letter was being read, I'm sure these slaves that were there were believers, so they were, they were really getting into what Paul was telling them, that they'd, they'd, been, they'd been sealed with the Holy Spirit, they'd been covered by the blood of Jesus, by grace, they'd been adopted. It's all the, the things that we've talked about in Ephesians, they would have been, wow, that's cool. So they would have been listened intently, just like everyone, inspired, encouraged, challenged, and and, he, and then he talked about children, and then he talked about fathers, and then he said, right there in the middle of that, slaves. I'm sure their ears perked up a little bit, and their hearts skipped a beat. He's talking to us. He, he, he's talking in, in this important letter. Paul wrote this letter to this church because they they needed to be inspired and challenged, and and he's going to single us, even though it's a large group. He's going to single us out. See, see, one a group of people that were that were marginalized, a, a, a group of people that had no um, had no value, or, or at least probably felt that way, considered themselves having no value, and certainly they had no voice. And now Paul's going to notice them in this this valuable letter. Had Paul only said, "Slaves obey, obey your masters," and then went on to a whole other topic. Man, it would, it would have, it would have inspired them and thrilled them. But the reality is Paul spends three verses talking about different ways that they're supposed to do, different things that they're supposed to do because they are believers. Paul poured into them this reality. Here's, here's two things. The, the first thing is, and this is how they would take it. Uh, we read that slaves obey your masters and you might just slide over it maybe and we're going to bring this out in a second maybe you make an application there for yourself but but we probably we don't we just read it and go on not them uh so, so we need to understand scripture how it was intended to be understood and when paul spoke to the slaves the first thing they would have thought was i can paul is talking to us he's giving us instruction. He's telling us how, how we're to live in the church. And, and, and we'll see a, a little bit more closely some of the things he says. But, but they would have interpreted it like this. I can represent Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, Paul says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though we were making his appeal through us. I think they would have realized, and it would have, it would have dumbfounded them, it would have excited them, it would have inspired them, that I can because of Jesus. I can because I'm covered by His blood. I can because His grace covers even me. I can because I have the Holy Spirit. Now remember, a third of the people, maybe even upwards to a half of the people sitting there as it was being read, were slaves. And now Paul's talking to them. You have to wonder, whoever whoever was called to read. Now I don't know if it was like the head elder, uh Chairman of our elders is Steve Adams. So maybe, maybe it's Steve that's up there, you know, a guy like Steve that's reading it. Um, uh, and, and, and so Steve's, Steve's a powerful guy and he probably has a couple slaves. Um, Chris, you don't count, uh, that because he's not the boss. You are, I'm sure, if you're like reading. <laughs> and, but, but Steve's a powerful guy and he's got, he's got a couple slaves and he comes to this part and it says, slaves obey your, I bet he slowed down when he read that. Maybe pause. Slaves, obey your masters. Looked over at his slave. You know, did you hear that? Of course, 
you got to remember back a chapter before, Steve also read, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Yeah, honey. Of course, then he had to go on and read, and husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and died for it, which he reminded him of, I'm sure, later on. But, but you wonder if, if he didn't slow down and said, slaves, obey your master. Because in the church, we're slaves. So, so like over here, there's a slave, and, and, and there's a husband and wife. He got into debt, and now both of them are slaves. And this row here, the whole family, they're slaves. And over there, and over there. And they're listening, and Paul says, Paul really pours into their spirit, um, I can't. How excited and blessed they must have been when Paul called them out individually. Uh, when our middle son, Joel, was a freshman in high school, he when he entered high school at DeKalb High School, he decided that it was his goal. He was going to be the valedictorian. He actually started in sixth grade. In sixth grade, our, our school went up to sixth grade, and they had a little graduation program. And he wanted to be valedictorian in sixth grade, and he was. So when he got to high school, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to be valedictorian. And uh, so he worked hard, and, and, and uh, he studied hard, and he made sure he didn't take art because he knew he wouldn't get an A in art. And uh, so his senior year, he didn't have a fine arts. He had to actually play in the band his senior year to get, to get that last A he needed. Um, and in fact, starting his senior year, he had a 4.0, actually above 4.0 with weighted classes. And, and God shined his providential light on him because our superintendent resigned and moved to another school and took with him his daughter, who had a higher GPA than Joel. <laughs> so he went from salutatorian to valedictorian all of a sudden. And so, so he was valedictorian. So the day of his graduation came, and, and you, we couldn't have been in. Prouder. And his mama was proud as she sat there, and it was Mother's Day that day, and she's sitting in the crowd, and, and I mean, she's just right on the verge of tears with, with pride and just excitement. And, and Joel gets up, and it's another story. If you want to ask me later, I'll tell you. We actually were a little concerned about what he might say when he first got up there. Uh, but he gets up there, and, and before he did what he was supposed to do, you know, you always do his valedictorian. I want to thank the uh, uh, Board of Education and the administrators and my staff and teacher, faculty and staff. Uh, where's Mary? Oh, back there. Mary Ann's, uh, or Mary Jane, excuse me. Uh, Mom was one of his uh, teachers. He was sitting there on the stage with him. But before he did all of that, he got up there and said, I want to wish my mom a happy birthday. I mean, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was just getting an early one. I want to wish my mom a happy Mother's Day. And all the ladies in the crowd went, oh. And the tears that were just on the edge started flowing down her eyes, or down her cheeks. She, now, she was proud, but boy, he singled her out. And by the way, just if you're asking, wonder he didn't say anything about me. I don't. I, move graduation to June is what I say for a Father's Day, but um, no, but. But boy, she was proud. In fact, I couldn't even live with her for like a week because she was just so, so full of her, uh, her pride. No. But, but he see, and oh, how it made a difference. So when Paul starts this, this section off and he says, slaves, and again, if he just stopped with obey, man, they would have realized that he was talking to them. They would have suddenly been poor, had value poured into their life. Um, but, but he does, and he goes on. Here's the, here's the reality, guys. I dare say that there's a third of the church here today. I'm not going to point fingers because I might hit someone on this one. 
I bet there's a third of the church here today that feels a little bit like those slaves did in the church at Ephesus. Now, you're not a slave, obviously. But maybe you look at your life and you think, hey, I don't have a whole lot of value. I don't have a whole lot of voice. Uh, and, and particularly in, 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 with your faith, man, there's just not much I can do. You, you're, you're a slave to the fact that you don't have a talent that you feel like you can give to the church. You don't sing. You can't teach a class or, or whatever. Maybe you feel like you're a slave to the lack of boldness. I'm just too shy. I would love to talk about my faith. I'd love to... I'd love to do this or that, but I'm just too shy. Maybe you feel like you're a slave to no faith. Man, I, I just barely am dragging on here. I don't even know that I have enough faith. Or, or a slave to, to feeling like you have no opportunities. But Paul said to this group of slaves, I, I can. You have value. God can use you to represent me. Here's the second thing they would have caught from that is, and it's the simple thing, I should. Not only I can, suddenly he's talking to us so we have value, but, but he tells them what they should do. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with sincerity, just as you would obey Christ. He said to do it with fear and respect. That has that die, idea of honor, but when he coupled those two words together, it's like you're putting it on steroids, like you're shining a light on it, like you're pumping it up a little bit. Not just fear, not just honor, but, or respect, but double that effort. Guys, this is the attitude that you're supposed to have. And what's that attitude? What, what is that highlight? It's that, that idea that you're doing it because of Christ. See, their motivation was they obey their masters. They serve their masters. They fulfill their earthly job just like they were working for Jesus. Uh, that, that brings us to the second challenge. And, and here's, here's the cool thing. Uh, they, they weren't just given a motivation. They were given a mission. It's really what it's about. Uh, verse, verse 6. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you. Don't obey them when the boss is watching, when the master's watching, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So, so your mission isn't just to get ahead with the boss. Uh, Paul here doesn't give career advice. It's, he doesn't take some time here. Now, now here's how you get ahead with your, your master. Here's how you can win their favor so maybe you can be released a couple months early from the servitude that you're... That's not what he's talking about. Instead, he talks to the reality of the heart of the slave. The slaves were, in, in, in Roman time, were, were, were notorious. And we'll read a verse a little bit later that illustrates that. They were notorious for being lazy, uh, notorious for lying, and notorious for stealing from their master. So when he points out not only when their eye is on you, they would have understood what he's talking about. They would have, they would have caught that idea that Paul realized the reality that sometimes they, they live under. God's watching, but don't do it because the master's just watching you. Rita and I take a, uh, uh, sometimes three days a week go to a water aerobics class at the Y in Atchison. Uh, she invited me to go to that class with her a few, uh, a little over a year ago, and I thought, okay, I'll go with you, honey. We'll splash around in the water a little. Jeez, if you've ever taken a water aerobics class, class, it's uh, you actually have to swim. I mean, uh, who would have thought? Uh, but it, uh, it's a tough class. I mean, I, the first couple times, I I thought I was going to die swimming and lifting weights and band stuff. And and uh, our our instructor 
Brandy is, is uh, I think she must have been military. She, she would be standing up. Drill sergeant, uh, t- uh, she is tough. But every once in a while, we'll be on one end, because Rita and I get paired together. I don't know why. She always, they always put me with Rita. And we'll be on one end of the pool, and some of the other people are on the other end, and, and we'll be doing one of these. We have to do this with bands where we do jumping jacks and fly. That's kind of hard to do, and not in the water. And, uh, and uh, she'll turn her back and talk to the ones down there. And every once in a while, because I'll be out of breath, and I'm, my shoulders are hurting. And so she turns her back, and I suddenly start. <laughs> until she turns around, and then, whoa, I'm with you, Brandy. <laughs> so Paul's, Paul's saying, hey, not just when the boss is watching. Not just when the boss is watching. Uh, what he wanted them to realize Catch it. They had a mission. They had a mission to represent Christ. Uh, your, your mission's not to just get by as a slave and make it through the day. Your mission isn't just to, uh, to, to, to pay back enough debt that you're finally released from, from what you owe. Your mission is to represent Christ. You, you have a different purpose. Uh, Pam, I hope this is okay. I want to talk about your brother a little bit. Uh, Friday was the funeral for Larry, and I, I met with the family the night before, and, and uh, they were telling me a little bit, little bit, little bit about him. And, and one of the things that he did, it just kind of was the thing. It was just his thing, is he loved genealogies, he loved family, and so one of the things he did was decorate on Memorial Day, decorate cemeteries. He went to several different cemeteries and decorated family and, and friends. That was just that was just he loved doing that, and that was just one of the things that that he did. But they pointed out that he didn't just do it for his family and relatives and extended relatives, but he also did it for some other people. He took care of a lady, Mrs. Dean, is that, am I right there? Uh, a lady, Mrs. Dean, I guess had taught here at Troy years ago and, and had taken care of her and had started, I'm sure it originally started because she asked, but started taking care of the responsibility of decorating her family's graves. So he would go to cemeteries and, uh, and put flowers on her family. In fact, in her will, she, she asked that that he continued to do that. So he's done that for years. So so we can understand, yeah, I'll put flowers on my family's graves. But he was given a mission that he took to heart. That, that speaks to his, his spirit. But he was given a mission to do something different. That, they suddenly understood their mission wasn't the same. It was different. Now, now let me let me make an application here. Uh, and we'll try to move on. Uh, it's not a stretch for us to realize how this applies to us. Uh, the, the, the Greek word doulos means slave. It also could mean servant. And guys, it's not hard for us to stretch it just a little bit more and make it say employee. Because uh, a lot of these slaves, that's really what they were. So when he talks, talks about here, uh, uh, a servant to their master, the Greek word was kurios, which is also used to talk about God as master. Uh, but we could also think boss, employer. They were called uh, on a mission to serve and represent Christ in their workplace, just like we are. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, Paul writes to Timothy, uh, and Timothy happened to be the pastor at the church in, anyone? Ephesus, thank you. In Ephesus. So, so he hits it, hits it again. First uh, Timothy 6.1 says, All who are under the yoke of slavery consider 
should consider their masters worthy of, worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. In other words, you're representing me. You're representing Christ, so watch what you do. In Titus, uh, Paul writes him and says in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them. Remember I told you what their reputation was? But to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching of God our Savior attractive. So live so that you're an ambassador, so that God is represented. Later in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, Paul says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord, not for men. Our, our mission, the reality is we've been called to a mission to represent to represent Christ. Uh, Barry Cameron is a uh, pastor at a large church in, uh, in Texas. He, he tells his story one day, uh, one Monday morning, he uh, stopped at a, a little donut shop on his way to the office, and he got a, bought a dozen, dozen donuts to take into his staff. And, uh, and when, when he paid for it, the lady gave him change, and he should have got like a dollar bill and, and some coins back, and instead he got a $5 bill and coins. And, and he took it, and it was just getting ready to put it in his wallet when he realized it was a five. And he realized he'd got too much change. And he said his first response was, Woohoo! It's going to be a great week! I just got four extra dollars! Yes! And he said as he started to put that uh, into his wallet, apparently the Holy Spirit must have talked to him a little bit, or his conscience, which really kind of is the Holy Spirit sometimes. But he realized, ah, that's not right. Bummer. And so he took it out, and and he handed it back to the clerk and said, I think there's been a mistake. You you gave me too much change. (laughs) And the little girl said, I didn't make a mistake. I did that on purpose. You see, yesterday I visited your church. And, and, and I recognized who you were. And I thought I'd just see if you practice what you preach. <laughs> the, the reality is, guys, and this is what Paul was telling, t- telling the slaves there. You, you represent Christ. Even, even as a slave, even as someone who has no power or no voice, no purpose, uh, you, you have one. People are watching. Live the faith you profess. And so then we are called not just to uh, live the faith that we profess, but also profess the faith that we live. Profess what we believe. Let, let me move um, uh, quickly on. We'll, we'll just take one, one little thought on, on uh, this last point. If you want to put... Uh, the next point in the outline is mentality. I'm, I'm just going to skip over that. Uh, and the last point Paul talks here, the last group he talks to is masters. And this is what he, he's, uh, what he says. And masters. And, and I like how he, how he, and masters. Guys, I'm not going to let you off the hook. So, so as Steve's reading that, slaves obey your masters, it comes to and masters. I'm going to talk to you too. And masters. And, and again, Paul flips it. Because a master had, he had rights. I mean, they, they, he could tell them what to do. He was the boss. But, and masters, treat your say, slaves in the same way. Huh? I, I'm supposed to treat my slave with the attitude my slave is supposed to have towards me? That doesn't make sense. Treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know, and, and catch this, that 
He who is both their master and yours is in heaven. He says there, see them differently. They are your master and mine. Just as Paul called for the slaves to change their worldview and realize that they weren't working for a master on earth, they were really working for the Lord, he calls masters to change their attitude and realize that they were working for or working with their brother in Christ. Uh, his attitude was then simply this. You're to see them like they're your family. I, uh, we see family different, don't we? I have a cousin. Um, you know, it didn't hit me till I was working on this sermon and I, I wrote this down. I have a cousin named Daryl Ray. It didn't hit me till I wrote his name down that he sounds like a redneck, doesn't he? Uh, and which is good because he is. Uh, my cousin Daryl Ray, he, I, I can't, I don't have enough time to talk about what he's like. He, when he was like uh, eight years old, he shot his sister. They said it was an accident, but I'm not really sure it was. Now she survived and it was okay, but he just was, uh, he just was a knothead. In fact, he got the. Uh, he got the nickname Hardhead, uh, and it fit. I mean, it literally, that, that was the perfect nick. But it wasn't one that, that was said and just kind of stuck. Sometimes nicknames, uh, I'll probably figure out some of your nicknames later on. Sometimes nicknames stick and everyone knows them. That. That's not really the case. People usually called him that when they were kind of trashing him a little bit. Well, old Hardhead did that. Of course, everyone knew they were talking about Daryl Ray. Oh, Hardhead did this. And, and uh, I, I saw Daryl the last time we, we were home in, I don't know, we were home in December or something, and, and, and there was ice on the road, and he was trying to get out of his driveway and in a, a rear-wheel drive car, and it was, he was just spinning, spinning. And I stopped and watched, who's the idiot trying? And his driveway went up, and I'm like, who's the idiot trying? And then out stepped my cousin, Daryl. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but people called him hardhead behind his uh, back, and I remember sometime, one time people were talking about him. Oh, hardhead did this. And, and I just took exception. His name's Daryl. Daryl Ray, but his name's Daryl Ray. Now, it fit. I mean, he's a hardhead, still is, but he's family. And, and the reality is, and I think that's Paul, that's what Paul says. That's the biggest thing he says here, here to them. Uh, your, your slave, you, you know, the guy that you can tomorrow say, hey, go out and plow the field. Yeah, that's your brother. He belongs to the same father that you do. You are family. Um, Paul challenges these two groups, uh, slaves and masters. They, they were in the church together. They were side by side. When he spoke to the slaves, the biggest thing we come out of it, when he spoke to the slaves, they would realize, wow, I'm important. And God challenges each of you. Some of us might look at our world and say, well, uh, you know, Johnny, golly, he can play guitar and A.O. can sing and play drums, and now A.O.'s playing guitar too. That's not fair. He's got that talent. And, and this person, they can lead, lead uh, Sunday school. Man, all those people that get up and do the communion meditations, the time of prayer, and they just talk like it's so easy. And, and man, I, I can't do that. And, and Paul says, you know what? But you can. You can be my representative. You can be my ambassador, no matter who you are. You can represent Christ. Uh, 
One of the most influential piece, people in my life was my oldest sister, Debbie. Close with this. My oldest sister, Debbie. Um, she, she just modeled for me what Christ was like and what an attitude of a servant was like. Uh, one of the most influential people in her life was a guy named Bob Stacy. Bob Stacy was, when he was a, a, a little boy, was told that he couldn't. He, he, got this, he got this cockamamie idea that he was going to be a preacher when he was about 10 years old and felt like God was calling him to preach. And, and, and people kept telling him, you can't. You're, you're, you're not smart enough. He was just a poor kid from the wrong side of the tracks and, and it wasn't that good in school. Bob, you're, you're not smart enough. And, and then they tell, well, Bob, you're too poor. There's no way you can even afford to go to college and be a pastor. Bob, Bob, you can't. But the real big hurdle, and this is what everyone pointed out, Bob, you can't talk. See, he stuttered. Terribly so. And, and he couldn't even hardly get a sentence out, and yet he wanted to believe that God could use him as a preacher. But, but he never lost faith in his dream. He never lost faith in, in his heart that God had called him to that. And the older he got, with the power of God in his life, he finally, for the most part, whipped his stuttering. He still stuttered occasionally. But Bob became a, a fantastic preacher. Uh, organized and, and founded a group uh, called Christ in Youth uh, that's, that still today has conferences all over the U.S. in the summertime. Um, uh, went on to be a professor at a Bible college, uh, a great man of God, who everyone said, you can't. But he believed when God said, I can. Maybe you're here this morning and and you don't know the power uh, of Christ in your heart. You don't know that God can use you. You don't, you don't know him as your Savior. We would invite you to come and simply uh, ask him into your heart to, to, to be obedient to him in baptism, to uh, to, to, to repent of your sins, confess, and, and become a believer. It's, it's that simple. Maybe here today, and you're, you're a believer, you're, you're like that third to half of the people in that church at Ephesus. You're, you're sitting there and you think, man, I, I, I have no voice. I can't make a difference. I'll come to church, but I... And God said, no, you can do something special. I notice you. If, if you need to come, we'd invite you to come this morning as we stand and sing our hymn of decision. Would you stand... Uh, as we sing this morning.